positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America. No, no, no. Not God Bless America. God damn America. That's in the Bible for killing innocent people. God damn America for treating us citizens as less than human. God damn America. As long as she tries to act like she is God and she is supreme. Gospel choir. And I ain't asking no questions. Whoever don't comply, I'm sending them all a point blessings. Cause I was told that seven on the dot, no matter the spot, to execute the plot. And my watch read 659. So I'll shucky ducky, quack quack, it's showtime. So we will be coming into the episode now, panning out of what we, whatever we've chosen to use as music to pay respects to. Uh, honor the fallen Herman Cain, who we all know and love. Uh, I guess we talked about maybe using some Smiths to stay on brand or just playing this Shucky Ducky song that Anders found. Who knows? Um, you'll the know. The song is called In a Twist. In a Twist. All right. Oh, I'll look it up and I'll put it at the beginning of the episode. Okay. All right. Hello, everyone. I'm Jake Flores. Uh, well, this is Pod Damn America. A uh, very sad gothic socialist podcast for the stupid children in mourning of Herman Cain today. Hello, Anders Lee is here. Anders Lee here. Alex Patak is here. Oh, shucky ducky, everyone. Sad day. <laughs> um, and joining us is journalist and FOIA nerd extraordinaire Ken Klippenstein. Welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, glad to have you on, finally. we've I think at one point in a live show, we read something you sent to me, which was a... A commercial that like ice made for their concentration camps it was pretty funny uh big fans of your work here at the show thanks oh and uh this probably uh isn't the best time to ask this but should i be recording on my side or no. do you guys handle that no you're good i got the whole thing oh god you're not recording <laughs> <laughs> none of this is getting recorded <laughs> ah, nah, we're all good um, speedy production here at the show comes at the cost of everyone sounding a little bit like they're on the phone, but listen, who gives a <laughs> shit? It's a, hey, we love the phone here, don't we, folks? <laughs> it's a show. Everybody calling yeah. them, using them, looking up stuff. It's a We're low, going for a lo-fi sound. Yeah, this yeah, is like the strokes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is just like the strokes. This is exactly the same as the, the strokes. strokes of podcasts. <laughs> um, let's talk in our lo-fi retro strokes-ish way about Herman Cain, who died yesterday morning um, of COVID shortly after sort of boomer Facebooking all over the place and Twittering that COVID isn't real and that masks are, you know, for like communists or whatever. Um, this is like... This is going to start happening, right? It's been kind of weird that through coronavirus that these people haven't really been getting taken this down. Is like a, this is like a genre of tweet at this point, it seems like, where there's like the four panel, like, you know, guy saying yeah. Corona isn't real. Oh, it is real, but it's actually not that big of a deal. And, you know, uh, third panel being like, definitely don't worry about wearing a mask. And the fourth panel in loving memory. Right. <laughs> yeah. The other big example, the, uh, Herman Cain kind of overshadowed 
probably maybe a little bit of a funnier one, I think, which was the co-founder of Turning Point USA, who died last week after tweeting like a meme of that that one of um, what's his face, Nicolas Cage, like you know, waving his hair in the breeze, and it's like me not wearing a mask in front of all these leftists, and then like a week later was dead, and they had to yeah. delete the tweet <laughs> because you know because of the owning. But uh, but everyone already had a screenshot. Right, and it, it turned out that wasn't him. That was actually actor Nicolas Cage. <laughs> yeah. So just as a mem- memorial kind of thing. So uh, do we know for sure Herman Cain got COVID at the Trump rally, or is it just, well, I think you know, we know maybe that a cosmic circumstance? The timeline we know is that he went to it, and if I remember right, that rally, they made you sign a waiver for that you couldn't sue them if you ended up contracting <laughs> something. And then it was, right, it was like right after that that um, his, uh, the family announced that he had contracted it, and then a few days later, I think it was that he died. Ironclad, unstoppable. That's why he's president. <laughs> you signed the waiver. The dawn is here. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. Uh, Herman Cain like is too funny of a character, but I almost actually kind of feel bad for the guy. I don't because he's powerful and is horrible and is one of the people responsible for all this stuff. But he doesn't seem entirely of, in control of what comes out of his mouth. I guess like he just kind of didn't seem like it was all there. <laughs> he quoted the Pokemon movie when he was running for president. Like he's kind of a lunatic, and so I don't know. I mean, watching his Twitter account was really interesting because. There's, he's one of those politicians where it's constantly unclear whether he's tweeting it or a staffer is tweeting it, but it seemed like he was tweeting a lot of the, like, you know, masks are for cucks stuff. And then at one point a couple weeks ago... Like It'd a, be a weird thing to pay someone else to do that. Right. <laughs> Just have somebody else be like, call, call masks uh, for, for little bitches. Just send that out. Well, <laughs> yeah. his timeline reads as a bunch of that stuff setting up what is then the punchline of like a staffer tweet that's like, hey, listen, we all got to support Herman kicking COVID's ass. Uh, you know, HC or whatever the fuck. I guess not HC. Um, but they Hillary Rodham Clinton. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Stafford tweets will be signed to HRC. Yeah. I'm inside. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, well, he's somebody who like was kind of me tooed before me too, and then for some reason was not me too to get like we they didn't bring up you know after 2017 people weren't like hey this guy probably shouldn't be. You know, we sh- he should be held to account for this in some way, but he, he continued uh, his his place in public life um, sort of <laughs> wrongly. Is it um, just that he's like some like if you attack certain people whose supporters are just not going to care about that kind of thing? A lot of times it doesn't stick. So maybe that was it. Yeah, yeah that's part of it. Well, there's also this thing where like that is emblematic of a worldview of just you know, posting through it and just barreling on. And like a lot of the people yeah. that are accused of things, you know, if you look like what Jeff Ross put out for his statement a while back when, you know, came up that he like dated a teenager. It's just like, look, I'm addressing this one time. Fuck you. Everyone's a liar. And then they just go on. And that like that uh, carrying on and just like kind of closing your ears works with social stuff when you have an entire social system on your side, which is kind of just like everyone going along and, and going like, well, if this person is being this confident, then you know they must they must not have. Does, my point is, it doesn't work against a virus. Like this bullheadedness, doing that with masks and not wearing masks, kind of ultimately is going to lead you to be like, 
you know, breathing in like a gas pipe on the street and going, this isn't going to kill me, you know? <laughs> I don't know. Well, Brett, wonder- the scene the movie where the scientist removes his glasses and goes, ah, you can't trigger the virus. <laughs> 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 it can't be done. It's immune to these techniques. Well, I'm wondering, Ken, if in your uh, reportage, if you have come across any uh, conservatives or government officials even who have sort of conflated uh, the mask wearing that everyone should be doing with um, uh, agitators, left-wing agitators trying to shield their identities, if you've seen any conflation between the two. It's funny. I've, I've seen pretty much every other crazy conspiracy theory, but not that one, and that might actually be one, because come to think, um, you know, you do have these protests, and now people are masked up in a way that uh, the technology they have for facial recognition and stuff is probably not, not working in the same way. But no, I haven't seen that connection made. Interesting. It is the empowering part of wearing the masks is you put it on to be safe and go to the store and you're like, and if I needed to rob this place, <laughs> I could. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's such a weird feeling is because I, you know, we're not a big enough podcast for it to be cringe for me to wear our bandana. So I wear it all the time. Nobody uh, knows what it is, but it's there's literally nice. skulls. Our logo is a skull and I'll like put that over my face as I go into a convenience right. store like a year ago this would be so suspect right. yeah you I, walk in and you say it's not cringe we're not big enough for it to be cringe and they go I don't know what you're talking about <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, know, you could probably make a pretty penny being a if you want to be a contractor for the Department of Homeland Security saying that um, starting some crazy conspiracy about how the masks are actually Antifa masks and um, Trying to right. trying to equate the two, I bet you could make quite a bit of money off that. Or it someone seems... who sells see through masks, so you can't hide your face. Just everybody can make <laughs> right, that. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, and yeah. For a few bucks extra, it'll improve your features. Well, that's a good point. It is weird that there are two major things going on in the world right now, both involving masks, and no conspiracy theorist has really thought to link them yet. But let's talk about the other masked thing that you do besides not getting coronavirus, getting tear gassed by the police. So, uh, Ken, can you give my listeners, I guess, a little bit of background on what exactly your uh, relationship with uh, the Freedom of Information Act is, what your um, what your whole what your thing is, I guess, uh, just in case anyone <laughs> listening to us doesn't deal, know, uh, because it's, I, it's it's cool. I'm a big fan of it. Yeah, so Freedom of Information Act, or FOIA, FOIA for short, um, it lets people at the federal and also at the state level, there's uh, 50 different state interpretations of FOIA for, for state-level equivalents, lets you basically request any government document that you want and um, pursuant to a number of exemptions they can claim, for example, um, privacy, personnel, privacy, national security exemptions. Um, so they'll redact parts of it or withhold parts of it. But other than that, they have to give you any sort of record that they produce. I guess the rationale sort of tax dollars produce these records. And so the public should have access to them. And, um, you know, in my experience, that's been a really useful kind of asymmetric tool um, against a lot of these intelligence agencies, Department of Homeland Security in particular, uh, because kind of an adjunct to their collecting records and generating information on every one of us is that um, you can then get those released to you if you know how to ask for them. Um, so uh, surveillance becomes this kind of double-edged thing where then they produce a whole ton, a whole lot of um, information that, that you could that you could request. Yeah, I guess two things come to my mind when I think about using this as a tool for journalism. The first being that um, 
there's a theory about the Florida phenomenon, which is, you know, everyone says Florida is like the craziest place in America or whatever. Uh, 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 interesting theory I've heard about it is that they just have um, this thing called the sunshine law, which is where uh, basically all, I can't exactly what the legal definition is, but like police shit is just uh, public domain where it's not public domain in other states. So as a journalist, you just have more access to finding out about guys who took bath salts and then try to eat someone's face off or whatever. So there's like an access to information that's um, sort of valuable in something like FOIA because uh, if, you know, I guess if other journalists haven't figured out, you can really subpoena all this information. And now you have like, you know, a window into something that is just outside of the realm of the mainstream media. Um, That's so much more solid than my theory of the concentration of hard rock cafes leading to more crime. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's what the fun thing to argue is that everyone is just, oh, Florida is like crazy or whatever, right? Um, Shit, the second thing just escaped my mind, but um, I'm sure I'll remember it here in a second, but um, I don't know. I mean, let's talk a little bit about what's happening in uh, Portland because in the last you know, week or so. We've just been talking about John Brown for uh, the last fucking five episodes because it stretched out as I was doing a lot of research for this, like, you know, specific, like, series we were doing. So I, we haven't talked about this a little bit, but we should because it's Homeland Security. So it's our, you know, our, uh, our fans, I guess, our base, um, part of our listeners, you know, uh, <laughs> something 90% sh- of our funding. Uh huh. <laughs> um, but, you know, as I'm sure everyone knows, what happened is that they just dropped like DHS agents in to subsidize the, you know, the defense of federal buildings that was being done by the police. And then we got all this information, all this journalism about, um, you know, how this is like Trump's like stormtroopers. Um, and now we're kind of stuck in this weird place where I guess last I checked, it sounded like the governor sort of announced that they're actually going to start taking Homeland Security out of Portland, but it's contingent upon them sort of ratcheting down the attack. So it kind of sounds like nothing. Like, that doesn't really mean that they're going to withdraw the troops. But I don't know. I guess I read a couple of the pieces that you put out about Portland, and one thing that's been really interesting to me is that it sounds like they are going to use some of the tactics and systems that were put in place during the war on terror to, you know, make databases about people, uh, what they're going to use them against like us now and particularly journalists. So can you tell us a little bit about that, about maybe this possible specter, this possible dangerous direction this could go in, in terms of them using, you know, Homeland security against journalists. Yeah. So the Washington post reported, uh, just yesterday that they were compiling intelligence reports on, uh, media that published leaks from DHS, which is like really good way to characterize the last like six months of my work. Uh, so I was a little freaked out about that, but I'm of course not the only one. Um, DHS has of course has become, you know, a uh, focus for the last couple of months um, because of the deployment, not just to Portland, but um, soon to be all across the country. So long story short, uh, Trump issued an executive order if you guys remember the protecting the monuments order, and that's that's almost, I mean, that's mentioned in the name of the executive order. So I'm not trying to 
caricature it. That's like really what it's called. And so contained within that executive order was the directive to protect um, federal property against uh, civil unrest. And so the Department of Homeland Security, in response to that executive order, they created a task force called the Protecting American Communities Task Force, or PACT for short. And so it's under PACT that they're able to surge, as they call it, um, surge these federal assets, federal agents, uh, people from the U.S. Marshals to BORTAC, the elite um, kind of SWAT team equivalent of Border Patrol. Yeah, to, what the uh, fuck Portland. does BORTAC stand for? Border Patrol Tactical Unit. Ah. Uh, these are guys that are supposed to kick down doors of, I don't know, say uh, a cartel safe house where someone's going to have an AK-47. Like, what's crazy about using these... I have sources within Border Patrol themselves that were kind of like, oh, my God, they sent Bortec in? And I was like, why is that so surprising? They're like, those guys are sadistic. And these are, like, not progressive people, you know, like, left-wing people by any means. Like, these are, like, conservatives that agree with, um, you know, by and large, the immigration laws that we have kind of expressing consternation at sending in these – they're kind of like special forces of the border patrol. They use night vision and are trained in, I mean, they're really only supposed to be used in situations where they anticipate violent, um, a violent response. So it's they're very trained odd to, to think like a boar, basically. Maybe. <laughs> I, I was thinking from the Simpsons when, uh, he goes to the license plate novelty place gift shop and itchy and scratchy land. The woman's like, my son is also named Bort. It's a bunch of that kid. (laughs) (laughs) It's been wild because, I mean, they've had these resources for years and years, and the public is now starting to realize it because they're not just being used for southern border stuff anymore. They're increasingly being used uh, for things that, you know, since DHS's inception, it was created right after 9-11. We uh, give them all sorts of extraordinary authorities and powers uh, to to deploy these resources. So um, one of the most untold stories, in my opinion – I think one of the biggest scandals here is that a lot of it is actually legal and, and that's the problem. Um, so, mm. you know, the argument that they've made and, you know, we were talking before the, before we started recording about um, William Barr, his career going back decades has focused on creating a uh, kind of arcane legal justification uh, for sending federal forces kind of against the wishes of, of local and municipal leaders, as you see is the case in uh, Portland, you know, Oregon officials from the, you know, U.S. senators to the local level to the mayor have all expressed opposition to this, saying, no, we don't want this, we don't need this, don't send us here. And they're just able to do it despite all that because of uh, these awesome powers that DHS was given. And so, um, you know, they're saying that it's to protect federal assets. Now, if you go back to um, Barr's history in the Justice Department, he's been there for a very long time. He was a very high-ranking, I don't remember exactly, maybe he was assistant attorney general, I can't remember exactly what it was, but during the George H.W. Bush administration, there was a hurricane that affected um, the U.S. Virgin Islands. And so he, uh, and he brags about this in interviews uh, from years and years ago, where he says, yeah, we were able to basically twist the law and come up with a uh, legal justification for sending in federal forces to the U.S. Virgin Islands on the grounds that we're protecting a courthouse. And what's uncanny about that is that is the exact same justification that they're using now they're claiming that they're protecting a federal courthouse in in portland um so there's a big through line uh you know uh, in, in history on the part of um Barr and his obsession with the unitary executive theory which holds right. that the president and the executive branch should be able to do things in contravention 
of or despite the opposition of uh, local and, and state leadership. And that's exactly what we're seeing play out now. Yeah. Well, depending I, on the definition, I mean, uh, graffitiing a courthouse can be violence. And so it's not unreasonable to unleash uh, night vision goggles and a sniper rifle onto <laughs> all those white guys doing it. Yeah, I mean, the justification yeah, or, for going into Portland was that they graffitied buildings and they responded by, like, tear gassing people, which is, like, the same can. You know what I mean? Like, it's the evil version of graffiti. Well, they want to prevent people from being able to read the graffiti, I think is the idea. Yeah. This whole thing is kind of interesting to me because I guess, you know, something that at least makes sense to me looking at what's going on in Portland is this kind of notion we've been talking about a little bit on the show of fascism being imperialism come home and what we're seeing with homeland security being used against us right now is all this shit that we built in justification of the war on terror suddenly being used to target american people holy shit you know scary monkey's paw ending of that whole fucking thing we started right and i guess what's been so kind of disturbing to me about it is reading about this stuff um i didn't know that so I you remember during the war on terror they had like the the deck of cards of terrorists that they would use to sort of like identify the big high ranking members of you know whatever faction they needed to take down. Apparently they don't have one of those. They're used yeah, I mean they used to be able to you could get them and they're just kind of a weird thing you would bust out and cut up like lines of drugs with and shit. It's like a fun party thing in the wake of Oh, I drew Anwar al Laki. Oh, snake eyes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You play a King's Cup with them and you'd have to drink the whole bucket <laughs> when you got um, you know, the nine eleven hijacker guy. So you got a rare, I got a rare bin Laden. It's worth a hundred bucks. <laughs> it's a hologram. Yeah. Got a hologram. yeah. <laughs> Andrew's version of the deck is all bin Laden. <laughs> <laughs> but uh apparently they're using that against people in Portland, which is weird because I, that either means that they are assembling like a deck of cards of what they think to be some sort of like antifa into infrastructure. You know, they they identified someone and they think, oh, this is like the the super soldier head boss guy, or they're using against the journalists, which leads me to my first interview question. Ken, what card do you think you are? Uh, <laughs> Ace of Spades? I like to think of myself as the holographic uh, Charizard of yeah. the journalist cards. <laughs> I really saw after one. Um, I, th- so these baseball cards, it's sort of an intelligence term for types of um, intelligence reports that are kind of centered around an individual or are supposed to give you background information about them. And what I think this belies is the extraordinary amount of paranoia on the part of the intelligence services. Like I have... Um, sources in, uh, you know, these different agencies and getting to know them over the years, they're really responsive to a lot of the sort of Facebook meme kind of (laughs) ideology that uh, people like us kind of laugh at. They take this stuff seriously. So I know someone who was like a very high ranking counterintelligence official in the FBI for years and years. And I was shocked because this person chatting with them, often they're, you know, kind of nice person on an individual level. And they started, uh, they're not even, this person's not even a Republican. They started, um, fulminating about how um, some foreign government is funding the anti-fund, bringing them in in busloads or something. And, you know, this person is not, was never a like far right person as, as far as I knew them. Um, so it was really surprising for me to hear them talk this way. And I was kind of like, well, what happened to this person? Or did they just get into some kind of weird YouTube channel or something? And then, you know, uh, as I started chatting with other people, they started reflect, I mean, I'm not saying that the FBI or the Justice Department or even DHS is identical to the Q stuff that we see, but it's like they 
they they you know they parrot a a fraction of that stuff like they end up believing in some of that stuff and so it leads to this ridiculous amount of um anxiety and and, and paranoia about about in thinking that these groups are are coordinated in a way i mean the way the intelligence services work i always say it's like the when you have a hammer everything looks like a nail their job is mm. to detect foreign influence and so they tend to see it where it doesn't exist i mean we see this going back mlk they were convinced he was is some kind of Russian agent or acting on behalf, on behalf of the USSR. This is what they're designed to do. They're designed to find these kind of influence. And so they often find it where, where there's pretty minimal evidence that any exists. Did he say which country was funding Antifa just in case anyone wants to move? <laughs> I think this person thought it was China was, was funding it. Um, oh, really? I, mean, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to name this person because I, you know, stuff wasn't on record or anything, but this was a very like high ranking person. So it was like a little disturbing for me to see how seriously they were taking this obviously preposterous um, stuff. That yeah. doesn't seem like it's in the Chinese playbook the same way. If you said Russians, yeah. I think that might get more play. Yeah, but they were well, the cut- new fear now. Ch- China is becoming the boogaboo now. Right. Exactly. Such a failed state. It sort of seemed quaint to see the Democrats talk about like, you know, their birth rate is collapsing. Like they don't have the resources. I mean, they still have nukes from the cold war era, but like, they just are not the power they once were. If you really want to look at a growing power, it's more China. So it almost seemed kind of like, um, I don't know, almost kind of old fashioned that, that all this talk of Russia now, because the new emphasis is China. It's a system where you have to know your audience. So if you're trying to scare people of a certain age, you're like, remember exactly. Rocky four. Yeah, (laughs) something that's always been interesting to me about reading about intelligence agencies is that they sort of operate on this mystique of being like, you know, really highly technically skilled and being, you know, these experts or whatever that know all the secrets that you don't know. And then you read, you know, the history of where the CIA and the FBI come from. And, you know, it's the history of kind of bumbling goofs and just a lot of failed missions and things like that. And the intelligence, if you look into stuff like this, is often pretty like suspect. And I guess something I didn't realize until reading about this lately was that since DHS itself is like the newest branch of, you know, whatever you want to call like the deep state or whatever these intelligence uh, organizations, it's like a punchline to the other two. And it would make sense that, um, I mean, I guess it, I guess it makes all the sense in the world that when you talk to people within it, and you go, you know, what what's what are the secrets? What do you know that we don't know? They just spout off some fucking Facebook paranoid thing uh, because, yeah, like you're saying, they're just they're just looking for an answer and trying to construct narratives about you know where this this boogeyman is coming from. And I guess I think about this a lot because like. Not to fucking bring up my thing or whatever, but like, you know, when I talked to Homeland Security, the thing that they kept saying to me in justification for like DHS and ICE is that uh, ICE in particular fights human trafficking. And that's a that's a boogeyman that you see used justify their favorite thing. Yeah. Yeah. If you just go off of their if you just go off of ICE's tweets, you would think all they're doing is tackling um, child pornographers when the reality is the vast majority of what they're doing is, um, you know, border interdiction stuff, like turning people back. We're trying to seek, um, asylum, that kind of thing. Yeah. And they've been cranking up a lot lately. Lean on this crutch. Yeah. Lean on this crutch of we're preventing child trafficking because that's probably the most, um, sympathetic of all of the things that they do that, that, that people could see. And they put the impetus on you because you don't want to be like pro child trafficking. Exactly. Yeah. What are you for Epstein? Yeah, I'm well, def- I'm, for the record, I am not. 
Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and it's what's weird is it in order to build like a, a bipartisan basis for uh, supporting something like ICE, the thing I've always said post that experience is like if you want to make a liberal support ice show them the movie taken or something like that because that's <laughs> that's the narrative of like this is what we need these secret police for is you know to because liam neeson's not enough or whatever you know um but i guess what's interesting to me about portland right now is that it's kind of being called into question like you're seeing like i mean i think that fucking Eamon bundy guy came out in support of black lives matter like that's it's the the support is starting to crumble so i don't know i guess i'm just curious where we think that's going well, I think that's part of the reason people are leaking stuff to me. Um, I said this before, these are not, by and large, I don't want to get into sourcing too much. Again, I don't want to get them in trouble, but um, these are not, by and large, far-left individuals that are, first of all, in these institutions to begin with, much less uh, you know, leaking things that could get in big trouble for leaking. So I think you're going to see a lot of dissension, certainly um, within the intelligence services generally, and even within DHS, which is, uh, as you said earlier, the most kind of the youngest greenest kind of most right wing of all of them most partisan of all of them um and a lot of that is just because i mean this they're literally sending feds into like you know what happened to states rights that used to be i mean obviously it was always a sham but i mean that was at least something they alleged to care about was like states rights against fed federal rights and they're acting in a really profound contravention of that when they will send these feds in against the wishes of uh expressed wishes of uh, local local government and not just that the amount of force they're using I think just looks really bad on a sort of optics level I mean you have these moms that are protesting and there are these like um, you know stormtrooper clad guys like standing they them down they the mayor right yeah like I, I'll give you an example I have a source in the Federal Aviation Administration who told me sent me a he, he was telling me you know we're, we're picking up so much tear gas in our uh, that our radar is like marking the signatures and we thought it we thought it was maybe a fire or something so we looked at it and he sent me a picture of it and it's just this huge like um, miasma of it, the amount of tear gas they're using is just insane it's so much that the other federal other federal authorities were picking up on their radar and wondering what the hell is going on mm. well it's also so, kind of strange too for you know you mentioned the unitary executive theory this like uh, theory that the executive branch should be you know almost all powerful is it's kind of strange in theory that it's being uh, promoted by right-wing Republicans who love to talk about states' rights uh, so often. But, you know, of course, this was like the subject of the movie Vice and has been something that um, we've been discussing a lot more, um, especially in light of John Yu and his sort of uh, refining of his interpretation of the Constitution as it applies to the unit- unitary executive theory. Um can you talk a little bit more about its its importance with, with these events? Yeah, so it was reported recently that um, you was advising the Trump administration on exactly these matters, uh, how to concentrate more power in the executive, how to circumvent uh, the very limited oversight that Congress and even SCOTUS, the Supreme Court, uh, it brings to bear on the presidency. So there's a you know big through line between uh, from the Bush administration to now in terms of um, not just a pragmatic uh, attempt to again concentrate that power, but but a sort of long-term strategy of constructing a legal apparatus that that would permit them to do that. I mean, I, it's very hard to say that uh, Congress and 
um, the, you know, a president, they're supposed to be co-equal branches of government. Uh, you know, you have Congress, the executive, the judiciary, as you're taught in school. Uh, but the reality is anything but. I mean, if you talk, I talk to lots of reporters who cover Congress. They don't even get briefed or read in on a lot of stuff that the president and the executive branch are doing now. And, you know, the oversight was never great, but at least there was the pretense of trying to read Congress in. I had leaked to me um, DHS communications showing them saying like how they're going to try to um, just avoid giving Congress answers to questions that they had put to them, which is like, that's the only oversight we have of these kind of agencies, you know, yeah. they were talking, they were like, well, she didn't ask specifically, uh, Senator Kamala Harris had asked for information on uh, uh, CB customers and border protection deployments. They were like, well, she didn't specifically ask for air assets, so we can just leave that out. And they're just openly, when you write that in emails, that's when they're so confident that nothing is ever going to happen to them. Cause usually if you do something, questionable like that you're going to do it on the phone and try to not leave a record of it they just have this stuff sitting out there and it gets leaked to me from one of countless people that had access to it that just shows how much of a joke they regard congress as and in, in, in the you know potential of any sort of um uh, consequences for them uh uh you know I- ignoring congress and they have a massive jurisdiction right isn't it is it's every border state does that does that include uh, northern like the northern border with canada well, so it's within 100 miles of every border, and uh, that includes the ocean, too. So a lot of people were like, wait, Portland isn't, isn't 100 miles from the southern border. What are you talking about? It's like, well, it's not just the borders between countries. It's also the you know, Atlantic and the Pacific. So when you, when you look at that, you think, oh, okay, 100 miles of border, I guess that makes sense. That actually includes the majority of the U.S. population. So it, you know, it's sort of misleading to just think of it as a kind of border processing type uh, force. I mean, it, it encompasses way more than that. And, um, you know, a lot of, I think from liberals, a lot of the, there's been a lot of sort of disingenuous um, discourse around like, oh, they've gotten so out of control of the Trump administration. Certainly Trump has like been, you know, the worst of any of the uh, uh, preceding administrations on, in how he's used DHS, but those powers were always there. So for example, when they had the predator drone over Minneapolis during the George Floyd protests, people were like, mm-hmm. oh my God, they have a predator drone. They've had something called, um, air and marine operations, which contains within it an entire fleet of aircraft, uh, you know, unmanned drones, uh, you know, fixed wing rotor aircraft, all sorts of stuff. They've had this for years and years and years. So this is this is what DHS is, unfortunately, and we have a president who's willing to use it. So that's basically what Kansas, Nebraska, Missouri that aren't Antifa headquarters. T- it's outside of the <laughs> CVP's jurisdiction that's Essen- yeah. essentially yeah and if they want to make the argument they're making now uh you know kansas and all you mean all the states you mentioned they're going to have federal assets that you could claim to be protecting mm-hmm. as well so they mm-hmm. can they can send those there too i mean that's a big advantage of department of homeland security is the personnel in terms of their numbers is huge it's much bigger the number of for example border patrol officers they have compared to fbi agents is far higher people don't realize how much bigger DHS is than than any other agency. I think that they're increasingly starting to resemble a kind of shadow defense department, um, a sort of parallel um, DOD that is willing to do for the president what the even the Pentagon wasn't willing to do. If you remember, Trump was trying to get the active duty military uh, to to try and make it so he could deploy them. And the you know I'm you know I'm been very critical of the DOD in my reporting, but uh, to their credit, they stood up to him and they basically said, no, this is insane. We're not going to do this. So he kind of back down from that and now it's kind of like he's saying all right well who else is willing to do it right he just found another 
apparatus. Exactly. Well, you know why the DOD was able to stand up to him is because they practice self-care, which they tweeted about a couple weeks ago. They made a video about <laughs> like, it's like a cartoon. Wait, of a, yeah, the, the Department of Defense tweeted a video that's like a Flash cartoon. It looks like Strong Bad or something. And it's just like, do you ever need to take some time for yourself? And it's like this fucking, this like soldier with like a rifle and shit. And he's like feeling sad. And then he talks to another soldier. And it's all... It's all fucking neoliberal and modern, so, like, they're all different races and shit, but they're, like, practicing self-care while they're just doing this job that is not mentioned, you know? Um, hey, I'm just waiting for the joints. Well, <laughs> Netflix and chill. That's been a problem, because, like, a lot of drone pilots who are in, like, Nevada um, have, like, PTSD just from, like, doing, like, the joystick fucking bombings. Well, yeah, you're murdering someone through a video game that then it it tells you, like, that's, I mean, that's like a Black Mirror episode or something. It's honestly, it's more like Shirley Jackson, like, the lottery, like, you think that it's separate, and then you realize, oh, my God, I killed somebody, you know? But I I can't wait for the the Joint Chiefs to come out with it and just be like, ooh-woo. Ooh, yeah, <laughs> anime guys awesome and shit. Stuff. The joint cheats. Yeah. As long as we're going with the strong bad theme, it's a bunch of the cheat. Okay, so <laughs> the reason I bring that up, <laughs> joint cheats. <laughs> the reason I bring that up though is because I guess big picture to me, what really seems alarming about what's going on here is the narrative, and the narrative right now with like liberals and with like Biden's camp is like you know that. Homeland Security is not doing its intended purpose. And right now, it's Trump's abusing Homeland Security by taking it and bringing it into Portland. And what we need to do, I mean, he literally put out a statement the other day that was like, we're going to, you know, get back to Homeland Security's intended purpose. And, you know, we're going to stop it from doing what it's doing in um, Portland, which is unfairly, you know, tear gassing people and abusing protesters. And he said, we're going to do this. By prosecuting anarchists, which is like what Homeland Security is doing right now. So he talked himself in like an incredible circle. But, you know, I mean, everyone is just kind of stuck following where this guy, I guess, is going to take, you know, this party when he, you know, probably wins or whatever. So I what they're I think what they're really trying to sweep under the rug is that uh, this whole situation should cause call into question what is Homeland Security? What does it usually do? And why are we implying that that's good? Because a lot of the stuff happens all the time to brown people. And now suddenly it's, you know, it's this huge fucking problem because, oh, it's happening in Portland against, you know, fucking people with green cards and shit or whatever. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, the, the idea is uh, this will be resolved by, um, yeah, by specifically identifying and carving out this anarchist element but that also if we let them run wild with that narrative that's just going to be a thing like the human trafficking thing that they just apply to whoever whenever they want because you know what, what ice does with like human trafficking a lot of times is like you know they they can show you the statistics of there being high rates of arrests of human trafficking which they show which they use as evidence for there must be a lot of human trafficking but what they'll do is like They'll take someone who's like a sex worker or something like that and arrest them for crossing state lines alone in their own car. And they'll arrest them for human trafficking. That's another point on the board for them arresting human trafficking. But that's, you're trafficking yourself, right? So it's not the thing we're talking about. So with this anarchist stuff, I mean, when they went into Portland, you, from some of the leaked DHS reports, you can see that they didn't really seem to have an understanding of what they were fighting, and their understanding came probably from like boomer ass Facebook shit because they 
didn't really seem to understand the motivation of people that were protesting and or destroying property, which, you know, destroying property and like violence are two entirely different things, but they're conflating them defending like statues and fucking police stations and shit with, you know, like a terrorist attack, like 9-11 or something. Well, it's a broad definition, which is very convenient because at a certain point, just your kids who took the other side in the divorce are anarchists. Yeah, I guess this seems kind of like uh, troubling because some people on the front line, they're going to be accused of the now crime of being an anarchist, which is not a crime, according to the First Amendment, are journalists. And it sounds like they're sort of uh, using creative language to kind of, uh, what's the word, to like justify what's already happening, which is like the arrests of journalists on the ground, the tear gassing of journalists. They're saying, you know, oh, if you're, if you're incidentally tear gassed, it's legal. We're not allowed to tear gas you on purpose, but if you're incidentally hit, <laughs> then, well, how the fuck do you... We're I mean, trying to tear gas the air above you. Yeah, I mean, you know how cops work. They're never they're going to be like I'm incidentally punching like you're my my fist is incidentally hitting you. You know what I mean? Like, um I don't know. I mean, do you see the 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 sort of deep state against the journalist thing as uh you know, an omen, a bad omen for things to come or do you think this will sort of blow over as they pull out of Portland? Well, I think a lot of it is just seeing how far they can go and then kind of recalibrating after you judge the public public response. Um, people are no, I think by and large, people are kind of not huge fans of journalists, which I kind of understand. <laughs> um, so, so you know, uh, certainly some of that. I mean, that's something, that's a complaint I have. So the ACLU filed suit along with the um, Oregon uh, Attorney General against DHS, um, you know, at, requesting the court to uh, put a restraining order against their treatment of protesters. And so they, you know, they, uh, the judge ended up um, putting a sort of partial restraining order against certain things, but it primarily protected the journalists, which is like, you know, not bad in itself, but like, I, I would hope that um, that would be extended. I wish that would be extended to the rest of the demonstrators. And um, if you look at the restraining order then put in place, um, what was given to me was the um, legal guidance that um, Customs and Border Protection or Department of Homeland Security issued to their personnel to basically circumvent the um, restraining order. So it said that um, it, it sort of created this legal basis to or it sort of explained to people that, as you said, as long as you're not directly targeting journal, as long as you're not directly targeting journalists or legal observers, um, then you can't be held liable. That was actually the language of it. You can't be held liable. And that's kind of to me, I, that seems to me like a wink to law enforcement to like, you know, if, if something happens and, you know, and, and if by chance it wasn't intentional and you didn't mean to target them, then you're fine. And now they're, I think the cops know what that means. They, they know how to, they know how to take that and, and, and use it to um, defend any sort of, but oh, I mean, they yeah. were direct. I mean, they hit a guy in the head with a tear gas canister. It shattered his skull. He had, had uh, reconstructive surgery. So, I mean, they certainly were targeting people and, and I, I suppose it's probably an improvement, but how the hell do you prove, intent a cop can just say well i didn't mean to shoot at him it just went that way you know yeah the police in austin um just this week in the wake of uh, a protester being murdered while defending his disabled black wife i mean just like a you know how the fuck else do you cut that situation how do you parse that other than this is fucking bad the apd put out a fucking picture of a crosswalk and it said stay you know outside of the this the roadway and then it said we 
are, you know, care about protecting your First Amendment rights. So it's clearly about the protests, and they're they're kind of trying to send this signal of like, as long as you stay out of the way, like this is all about your freedom of speech or whatever. But I mean, a like they're idiots, so they put a picture of a crosswalk, which is a thing you're allowed to fucking stand in. Um, but b, I don't know. I mean, it just seemed like uh, you look at cops making statements like that about this this being like for your own protection and you go are you do you mean that or are you just coming up with creative ways to continue what you perceive to be you know your just fight in defense of you know whatever the fuck you're defending a goddamn statue of robert e lee or whatever or the bank or the police it's very muddled they haven't been forthcoming about what their mission is i mean they've said everything from we're defending federal property generally to we're defending the courthouse in particular they've said as you pointed out that we're here to defend the rights of first amendment demonstrators which is kind of i mean i'd be curious to see what if you pulled if you just asked the demonstrators what percent of them want that protection so that's a joke but yeah i mean it's it's they've, they've claimed like six different things for why they're there and it contributes to a lot of confusion yeah well i guess what's weird to me about them applying like war on terror style playbooks to this is that they're sort of equating defending like a military base in Iraq or something with defending a piece of federal property in Portland from, you know, graffiti and shit. And, uh, I, you know, obviously it looks like bullshit from the outside to us but like i don't know the thing about cops is that they always believe the shit you know they're never like ha 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 i'm totally. getting away with you right. know fighting anarchists or whatever what what's the difference between this and graffiti benghazi yeah <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i can't stress enough too like people outside of so dhs is the most conservative of all of them so to give you guys a few examples the border patrol union endorsed trump the ice union endorsed trump it's very unusual for them to do stuff like that um, if you look at, for example, the FBI, they don't even have a union. They have like a, something called like the Agents Association. It's like an advocacy group, but it's not actually a union. They don't come out and say these sorts of things. Now, I'm, just, not defending, uh, I'm not saying the FBI is a great institution, but it's like less politicized and less right. insanely partisan than the DHS. The guy who tried to uh, set up all the FBI unions mysteriously ended up with a bullet in the head. Yeah. No, it's, they, it's, I don't know why they don't have a union. <laughs> they have the thing where they shake the bones around and stuff and set the huge wicker man thing on fire. That's their union. It's, you know. <laughs> Skull and bones. Yeah. Stuff. Uh, I'm curious about, you know, I, I don't think Biden winning is a sure thing at all. But uh, if that happens, is the political will going to exist or the interest even from his administration to like start to unravel this web of uh, bureaucracy and brutalization, or is it just going to continue as, as has been? My impression is that it would be like Obama where, um, there will be some, you know, reforms that kind of get rid of some of the worst practices, but by and large leave the core of, of these institutions in intact. Um, and so, I mean, if you look at his rhetoric on this, Jake mentioned this earlier, uh, he was basically doing the thing where you try to out, you know, out nationalist or out patriot, the um, Republican, where he's like, you know, I'm all for getting the anarchists or whatever. And it was to the point that even some liberals, like I saw uh, Chris Hayes was like, you know, you can't prosecute people for a belief system. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, defend, you know, and, and he's right. Like that is a crazy thing to, for a Democrat to say. So I wouldn't expect much from him, at least with respect. I'm not saying that he's the same as Trump, but with respect to DHS, I think it'll look I think there'll be a lot, a lot of similarities. Well, and it's something that was happening too while he was vice president. I believe it was in Seattle. 
under the uh, federal prosecutor at the time, Durkin, who's now the mayor there. She went after an anarchist group. People were held in solitary confinement, all under the Obama administration. So, yeah, it's not it's not looking bright. I mean, it seems like that was kind of the key uh, mistake, if you will, from our perspective, would be a mistake uh, of Obama coming in and deciding to, you know, not look back, but look forward and not go after, you know, uh, people who were abusing the their their unitary executive theory by by authorizing things like torture. Um, what do you think that is is this sort of like the fallout from that decision? To did that set the precedent? You think for what we're seeing now under the Trump administration? I think so. Yeah. I mean, for whatever reason, people, especially young people, have a lot of affection for the Obama administration. So when Biden comes in and um, fails to, you know. Uh, meaningfully curtail uh, these institutions, he can just say, hey, you know, I'm not any worse than what Obama did. I'm doing essentially the same as what he did. So that's mm. going to give him a lot of cover, I think. Um, <laughs> he I mean, I guess there's a DHS and makes a new one. <laughs> Renames it. It'll, it'll rename it something. Uh, Department of border, Homeland Integrity. Tax, Biden is going to use... That gives them bigger guns. He's going to use DHS to finally find and kill Banksy for doing uh, <laughs> That's exactly it. Banksy is their idea of uh, anarchist. I mean, yeah. some of the stuff you can't make up. Uh, again, DHS is the most reactionary of, of all these, but I was talking to another uh, very senior counterintelligence official at the um, Defense Department, and he sent me something because I was kind of talking. I was like, you know, there are all these far-right groups that actually are doing terrorism and right. committing violence of the sort that is involves humans, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. So I was asking him, I was like, why is there not more focus on that? He's like, well, it's not just the far-right groups. Check out what I just got. And he sent me this war- internal uh, – it was like a situation report that they had. Um, and I started reading it, and it sounded like um, – kind of like one of those Randy G-dubs tweets where it's like, I'm taking the mail and I'm just uh, switching it all to Democrat. I'm taking the uh, uh, Republican votes and switching it all to Democrat. It was something like that. It was like, <laughs> it was something like I am, an- the- it was like a, it was like a, a mailer or like a flyer. And I said, we are Antifa rise up and take all the money from white people. Or something. There's some completely insane. Like, <laughs> and this guy, again, not like a, not like a MAGA guy. Like, I'm not saying he's like left, but he wasn't the MAGA. He's a nice, nice guy in a personal like he doesn't say crazy things he's kind of like yeah i was he's like check this out this is what the left is up to uh, i was kind of like trying to politely sort of be like do you think that's real and he's like i'm not sure but if if it, if it is that's pretty scary huh and i was just like oh god <laughs> <laughs> we have top intel from groiper that the left is buying guns <laughs> well that's what's so alarming you know because i was talking about the human trafficking shit earlier because like you know, every once in a while, like out on the road doing comedy or something like that, I'll meet somebody after a show who's like, ha ha, like, hey, I'm, you know, I work for fucking Homeland Security or whatever. And I'll, you know, talk to them for a little bit because it's like kind of fascinating. And they'll be like, yeah, no, we really, you know, we're fighting these human traffickers and stuff. And you look at them and you go, somehow they figured out a way, like they believe this. And, um, you know, it's, it's complicated how those narratives work. But if this is the direction where this shit is going, then by the end of the next five years we're gonna have like we're gonna have like those conservative action movies where bruce willis gets a bunch of guns and he fights fucking randy g-dub in the you know the mail uh or or you know antifa super soldiers or whatever like this is gonna solidify itself in culture and then it's gonna create more you know it's gonna be more it's gonna feel more realistic to those people when they 
start talking about this fucking boogeyman because that's what exists in like you know and all this copaganda when you look at like how they portray terrorists and fucking yeah. ms-13 and all this stuff uh i don't know i wonder if it's possible that we're gonna get like you know just law and order episodes well we already kind of have law and order episodes about that but like you know just fucking like a, a full a, batman movie an embedded <laughs> find drill an embedded <laughs> cultural reflection of this paranoia about a completely fucking made up gobbledygook thing which is anar- anarchists like terrorists you know well, th- this has been the most shocking thing to me to cover national security stuff is to realize the extent to which they end up believing their own propaganda about things. Like when I was younger, I thought, you know, oh, nobody up and at the highest levels believes this stuff. This is for the rubes, you know. And then you start to meet a lot of these like pretty high up intelligence analysts and things. And it's like, holy shit, maybe they don't believe all of it, but they believe like uh, maybe half of it or you know what I mean? Like it's like. Yeah. It, they really believe this stuff by and by and large. Like it, it, it seeing Trump as president kind of repeat, you, you know, you see the Trump Fox news pipeline and him sort of repeating a lot of what they're saying. I find that at every level of the national security um, uh, it, it agencies, it, it, it's really striking how common that sort of Trump. I mean, there's a lot more people sort of like Trump that end up believing their favored, um, you know, sort of uh, media outlet that was once intended to be propaganda to induce his own supporters to like him. They end up believing it too. And I, I just, I see that again and again. Well, Can there, ask, there's some um, good. I'm I'm sorry. I just have to know. Have you come across any like federally employed QAnon guys? Like anybody who's full WWG one? Yeah, because they're starting to run people for office and shit. Right. Yeah, how, there. how deep are they in the system? I'm working on a story about this now. Um, uh, Customs and Border Protection actually conducted a study of the relationship between uh, Q content and how many applicants they would get to join CBP. So they're like quite cognizant of that. Um, So it definitely exists. I would say um, that tends, that's still a little bit fringe. Um, I would say that of all the right wing stuff, a lot of these law enforcement, they believe some of it, but you know, not all of it, or um, it it has an effect, but it's not, it's not quite the one-to-one stuff you see if you go on Facebook, for instance, where they just, you know, it it all passes through them like osmosis. And they, I'm not, I'm not saying it's like that. It it exists probably still relatively fringe at this point but yeah it has a thing and uh they tend to be the problem is they tend to not be open about it because of the hatch <laughs> act you're not supposed to because of the hatch act they're all paranoid that they're going to get in trouble for any kind of like partisan representation so they tend to be quieter about it but yeah i'm I, i'm sure it exists on, on on some level wait what is the hatch well, act? Can, the hatch act is like you can't be seen as um if you're a federal official um, like you're a federal bureaucrat, you can't be advancing kind of like any sort of partisan kind of electoral stuff. Um, so if you're if you're a boss and you have people under you, you can't be saying like, oh, we need to go Trump or something because that's like exerts undue partisan pressure in the context of a, a political. So they, that makes them all paranoid to that. But yeah, uh, but just chatting with them, certainly <laughs> that exists. Damn, well, that's funny. So you have an office of DHS people just going like, I'm not asking who you're voting for in November, and uh, we're leaving it at that. Very much. <laughs> done yeah. everything we do here today, you know. I, I just hope we catch all these child traffickers, because it just looks like a lot of old women to me. But what do I know? <laughs> yeah, I'm curious about uh, Chad Wolf, the head of DHS, who's been somebody who, like, pretty, you know, unqualified for his position, but has really been able to uh, get on Trump's good side pretty effectively changed his name to Chad Wolf for God's sake. Um, do you think he buys his own bullshit or is he just totally cynically 
uh, just pushing this stuff to to get where he's where he's at to keep his position and and stay in Trump's favor. I don't have insight into him personally, so I can't say this like with certainty. But I would guess, yeah, he believes it. I mean, I'll put it this way. If Trump was looking within, you know, the the higher levels of the uh, DHS for someone to run the agency in 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 a, in a way that is going to advance his interests, he wouldn't have any problem finding someone that sincerely mm-hmm. believed this kind of stuff. So again, I I can't speak to him specifically, but uh, I would guess, yeah, he does believe it. And it's interesting you say unqualified. He was never actually Senate. Um, he was never Senate confirmed. Right. He's acting. In, yeah. I think in violation of the um, uh, Vacancies Act, so you're only actually allowed to be acting for a short period of time. I don't remember what it is, maybe 90 days or 100 days or something like that. And then eventually, um, I mean, this is, again, going back to what we were saying before, Congress no longer has the um, oversight that it, the limited oversight it once did. Congress is supposed to be able to appoint, uh, you know, you're supposed to get confirmation because then it's like it's not just the president is picking everything. There's some minimal amount of, um, o- oversight that exists, you know, of course, Senate is Republican. But what's crazy is it's like he can't even get them confirmed from his own party. All he would need is mm-hmm. a Republican party to confirm this guy, and he's still not. So I think that speaks to how crazy he is. Wow. Yeah. Trump's just lazy. Like, he just doesn't doesn't feel like signing the shit to get this guy officiated. Well, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the party just wouldn't even um, appoint him because he's just so nuts. Like oh, yeah, it, it could yeah. be that behind the scenes he was like, "All right, so what do you guys got in this?" They're like, uh, "We can't do that, man." And he's like, "Okay, well, I guess I just won't submit it." Then. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's know? because they know that he's actually RFK, like resurrected from the dead, and that <laughs> yeah. you know if they. I love that him. name, Chad Wolf. Chad Wolf, the, uh, the Virgin Constitution in the uh, Chad Wolf <laughs> DHS. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, he had to change it because his name before was John F. Kennedy Jr. Right. <laughs> uh, oh, right. That's the fucking guy. Sorry, I don't know my cueing on that well. Why do you tell me this, guys? Why do Republicans like JFK? I thought it would be like he's a Democrat, so he's like a pizza gate or whatever. Why do they like him? I does anyone here versed on? Uh, QAnon because I've learned this at one point years ago. I can ago, take I a swing at it. Go for like, it. Like I have a a general like gut feeling about it, which is just that JFK, even though he is you know a 1960s Democratic president, uh, uh, the the his story is going up against hidden secret powers and then oh, being murdered yeah. in public. And That's so like a deep for, state, yeah. Their whole thing is exposing the swamp and uh, the secret pedophile rings that are orchestrated by uh, criminal John Legend. And uh, who would be best to break that down than their fallen hero, John F. Kennedy? That's so Jr. charming. Well, that's so charming to me that this guy who authorized napalm in Vietnam was like a yeah. known woman, known womanizer. He, I was, I was just reading his biography <laughs> the other day. Uh, Seymour Hersh wrote a book on him. He had thrown his back out the day he was assassinated because he was trying to grab some grab some woman's ass. Oh, yeah. And that was the reason that when <laughs> when the first bullet shot, he couldn't go back because his back was like thrown out. I think that's oh, literally King. the reason he was killed. If I if I understood, well, he had like some disease. He wasn't actually suntanned all the time. He had like jaundice or some shit. He which was is why Irish. He, he, he was yeah. inbred <laughs> Irish American. That's. What it is. I mean, he was in office, you know, it was like three years, but still like a short enough time to where you can kind of see whatever you want in him. And like, that's yeah, why right. you you have some liberals or you know, very Obama effect. Right. Where yeah. people just projected all of these. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, when he's a in, handsome man, he hurt his own back trying to suck his own dick, which he couldn't <laughs> do because he couldn't get the surgeries. 
<laughs> yeah, you're supposed to take your ribs out to do that, like Marilyn Manson. Right. Do you right. think, or if you have the determination of a president, maybe you can just make it happen? <laughs> do you think? Um, you know how, like, a few months ago, just out of the blue for no reason, Bob Dylan released like a fucking hour long song about the Kennedy assassination. Do you well, think that he's know. into QAnon? He's like the age. That oh I'm- yeah, he's the right age. He's he he did the thing where you kind of use the '60s to create your brand, and um, I you know I can be honest. There's so many grifters among artists, man. Like this guy, he totally just used the '60s movement, rode that wave, and became completely apolitical. You know, and now the new sort of uh, in the I mean, if you're a what 70 year old guy, you're probably going to perceive the counterculture now to be like Q and all the shit, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, it's funny because, like, yeah, he was part of that folk. He, well, he he always says, like, I, I was never, like, political, man. That They put that on me. <laughs> but, but I've seen interviews where they're like, you literally wrote, like, a whole album called The Times Are A-Changing and were, like, pro-civil rights ostensibly. Like, well, I don't think that's political. That's just being on the side of people. Uh, <laughs> how is that not like what is your definition this is like when politicians up. say like this isn't a political thing it's not a democrat thing it's not a like, what the right. fuck are you talking about this is absolutely a political yeah. thing yeah so they're like talking the about like snaps no one at the fbi has a political affiliation <laughs> exactly <laughs> so it's about, like yeah. the justice department thing where it's like we're apolitical we're just gonna you know follow the law we're it's just like, some guys hunting martin luther king that's all we are. <laughs> the Hatch Act was also extended to Bob Dylan too. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> that was one of the What's uh, you know, but honestly, when you're an artist, like a lot of that shit is because you're like well, the country is kind of split into two ideologies and I will lose half of my money theoretically if right, I'm right. openly partisan, so I have to just Republicans make Republicans don't buy sneakers, yeah. Yeah, so there's just vague fucking you know, you, you have to pretend like you're vaguely unideological and when you make you wrote Hurricane. Let's talk about like Hurricane Carter, you know? What I mean is that not right. political? That family I have a funny artist grifter story. So his he actually has a son who started a band called um shoot, what was oh, it? Jacob Dylan. He has some big I, I can't remember One Headlight. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah the yeah, Godzilla yeah. So song. I was re- I was reading about this guy, and he has this story about how he came up from nothing and he had no money, and he became music. And I look up, and I'm like, Wait, this is Bob Dylan's son. What the fuck are you talking about? It's like, dude, obviously you're gonna grift, but it's like, come on, have, give us. A, we're not that stupid. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's his. That's Dylan's whole. Like he pretended to be an Oki, and that was like kind of right. part of the the charm. It's of like it. a it was Elizabeth like, Warren kind of Oki. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She's just a folk artist. <laughs> She's a myth maker. She's. Uh, Big crafting structure. her own narrative yeah was- i had to drive home with one headlight <laughs> <laughs> that, no literally that's what he said if i remember right i would encourage you guys to look this up bob dylan said he claimed that his car was breaking down right before he got to the recording studio for his first for his first album and it, it was on its last legs and it just broke down right before they got in front of it and thank god it was the car lasted right. that long yeah i mean my every platinum amex started being declined i didn't know how to fix it <laughs> that's what he wrote that song about right like every artist i think so yeah has this bullshit where why be, if I, you're, I mean dude it's not his fault he was born to wealth i'm not gonna 
necessarily hold it against them. Like the only good rich person, you if you're just lying about this shit, you know. <laughs> Every once well, in a while, there's a good rich person. People to not know he's right. Well right. Done. Like it's. It seems it's like just it's, bad strategy is what it is, and that's what that's what hurts. Well, sometimes those people yeah. change their last names for that reason. I, every once in a while, there's a rich person who gets right. it and is just cool. My favorite rich person is this comedian named Randall Otis because his uh, Twitter bio is just rich parents, which he has. And that's nothing wrong with that, you know? But like... His dad owns Red Lobster. His dad owns Red Lobster. I mean, what else are you going to do, you know? But... uh yeah, I mean, like, fucking, uh, what's her face? J.K. Rowling, the goddamn, you know, turf, anti-cancel culture Harry Potter lady. She has all these fucking stories about how she wrote those books on, like, napkins oh, yeah, at yeah, a diner right. and shit. And, like, someone right. figured out eventually. <laughs> it's complete fucking bullshit. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you did that, <laughs> yeah. but, like, yeah. you also came from a fucking family full of money and shit, so. You know, you know what, Stephen King, uh, my, fa- my favorite one, oh. Stephen King's son uses a pen name. It's Joe Hill. Mm-hmm. Joe Hill, like the, like the yeah. union. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Chad Wolf. <laughs> Barack Obama. Like if you use an already Joe famous Hill. name, then you're Googleable and all this stuff. Yeah. God damn. Well, I'm glad that somehow I this turned into it. us just skewering Bob Dylan. Someone had to do it eventually. <laughs> <laughs> he's had it too good for too long. <laughs> Anti-Bob Dylan podcast. His, his Starbucks well, hegemony has to end. I'm a Dylan fan. I have a theory that he goes <laughs> in and out of... <laughs> <laughs> give it, give it two more years, and he'll be cool again. It it comes in cycles. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's like nausea. It comes in waves. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's out right now, but nah, give man. Until he dies. When he dies, there's going to be a huge resurgence. Oh God, that would be the best thing for his career right now. Honestly, I mean, in a, there was an interview. He they were asking about the '60s, and he's like, you know what? I realized is like everyone thought you could come together, but in reality, you should just be out for yourself because uh, yeah. you know everyone working together doesn't work. He literally just came on and said, basically, like, yeah, you should all just be in it for yourself. And it's like, Jesus Christ. I mean, usually they're smart enough not to not to just speak openly like that. But yeah, at I, that point, just stop doing interviews. What are you doing? You're already right. famous and you're like a legend. Just stop talking to cameras. You already well, can't talk. It's like the Twitter thing. These famous people, they can't not tweet. They have to fucking yeah. spew all their dumb shit into the ether because they can't help it. I mean, he would just fuck with reporters for a big portion of the 60s and that was when you had a press that was like trying to put this the revolution on him and he felt like i i I don't want to psychoanalyze but i think he (laughs) you know wasn't up to the task or whatever or just you know for whatever reason didn't he just grew alienated with with politics and just like started fucking with uh the media while other people were like trying to actually push serious things well, I mean, the, the career of an artist puts you into a situation where you are diametrically opposed from the path of growing and learning as a person right. with an ideology, right. anything other than conservative. The only expressly political <laughs> artists are really like Ted Nugent and shit. And th- th- that's a person who sucks, but their politics <laughs> matches their music. Whereas, you know, with liberalism, it just it puts you in a situation where you're a like you know, unable to really keep up with anything you would need to be able to keep up with when you have to practice that much at a technical skill and B, you would have to not advance your career if you understood like ethically being part of a system like, you know, like the fucking recording industry or something like that. You know, you would have to be a fucking whistleblower and blow the whole thing up and then you'd have no career or whatever. So like, I mean, the only the only path is to fucking fry your brain like Bob Dylan and just sort of like waffle on it and go like, I don't know, man, it's about people. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, well, this is a selection bias too, because the most famous ones that we'll that we'll ever all see and be able to talk about um, are going to be the ones that cut the it compromised the most in terms of uh, politics. You know, right? Mm. Yeah. So then that appears to be the most common popular thread right. of right. ideology, which is why we need, you know, journalism. We need people expanding the narrative. That's why we need, you know, we need Ken with FOIA. We need, um, right. I don't know, so, uh, someone exposing Bob Dylan's lies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At home, go through your deck of playing cards. All those journalists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's probably a good place to wrap this up. Ken, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, big fan of your work. He's, please keep fighting the good fight. Hey, and thanks a lot, man. along. Um, you want to plug anything before we get out of here? Um, I would say uh, if you're a Fed, if you're uh, in any of these agencies, <laughs> give me on Signal, 202-510-1268. I like that. <laughs> the direct approach. I know you're listening anyway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I guess that's how you do the leak thing, huh? Like you, you talk to exactly. people on the inside. Exactly. I drop my number. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. And put in a cash, put in a request to your uh, higher-ups for some Patreon, for some money to subscribe to our Patreon. Yeah, so, yeah. Let's loop that. Yeah, into you can it. write yeah. that off. You guys right. do that enough, anyways, with things. I know. <laughs> that's where the, the good stuff. That's where the real yeah. incendiary shit is. is on our, <laughs> behind the paywall. <laughs> All right, yes. boys. Anything else before we get out of here? Any plugs? Um, Anders Lee on... here. Sorry. I'm sorry, Anders. You go first. <laughs> follow us both at the same time. Open your laptop and your cell phone. Follow at Anders Lee here on Twitter. And uh, Alex Patak. Yeah, and at Patak Jokes. <laughs> Again, only follow me if you're going to also follow Anders. I don't want to be part of it otherwise. Yeah, <laughs> two for thing. Fair. Um, I am going to be raising money for the Comedy Resistance, which is a group kind of run in part by our friend uh, Ricardo Gutierrez, who we've had on a couple times, um, who works in a cool border justice stuff um i'm gonna be doing so what i'm gonna be doing is just giving out masks and shit like that and uh supplies but in order to raise money this co- this 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 organization knows what they're doing they use comedians like me who will do it because then you get to be part of it and retweet and it's like look at me i'm doing a thing right um but uh, in order to ru- uh, raise funds on saturday august 8th in the evening i don't have a a time hammered down yet but i'll put the details out and stuff this week um i'm going to be raising money by doing walter mercado shit on instagram i'm gonna read tarot cards which i do sometimes and i'm trying to find a cape i think i already have the wig which we used for our live show uh to be chris matthews so i'm gonna have hopefully a cape by next saturday and what we'll do is you will uh Put give money to Act Blue, the Act Blue fundraiser for the Comedy Resistance and uh, their mass drive for unhoused people, and then you'll ask me a question, and then I'll uh, I'll just do Walter Mercado shit. I'll do you just... want to borrow my cape? Uh yeah. There you go. All right. Look at that. Got some work I, I done on the podcast. Vomit off it from last year, so right. I think it's good. Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. All right. Well, that's it. It's finished here's tangled up in blue by uh bob dylan i this is i guess a commentary on the election or something tangled up in blue no matter who i don't know you figure it out oh that's good split up on the docks at night